It is Sunday morning. My name's Mike. I'm vicar here. I know there's new faces in the church. I've not yet had a chance to say hello to everyone, but it's good to see everyone here. It's good to be here together. It's so important, this time with each other on a weekly and a rhythm, a pattern of being together, fellowshipping with each other. Okay. Let me tell you where we're at. We've been doing a series that we've called Peacemakers, and it's based on a book by a guy called Ken Sanday, and I talked about this last time, and I'm three talks in. So the first talk, just a very brief summary, the first talk was glorify God in conflict. So the idea here is, when something's happening amongst us, and there's a problem, there's a dispute, maybe someone's upset me, the tendency is to want to get this situation out of my life and just kind of get it out of the way like a cobweb. But I've encouraged us all to go, no, here might be an opportunity. This might be an opportunity to bring God glory, uh, to serve someone, to become more like Christ. So glorify God in conflict, that was the first talk. Second talk was, okay, in the middle of a conflict what are we going to do? And I read that passage about taking the log out of your eye. Remember Jesus said that? Take the log out of your own eye first. And we spent the whole talk just dealing with logs in our own eyes, looking at ourselves first. This third talk then is about, it's titled Gently Restore. And the idea here then is, all right, we've we've done some self-examining. We're in a situation, whatever's going on, We've examined ourselves, but actually I now need to go and talk to someone because there's something going on in their life and I need, I need to raise it. I need to say something to this dear brother or sister, whatever's going on. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at for a few minutes today. Let me set it up like this. <clears throat> Basically, my burden here is to be a church family, a, a genuine family, but I will say that even this week, I've heard this this language used everywhere. So I went to my school's, uh, my son's about to go to secondary school, and I went along to his sort of parents' induction evening thing, and the first thing the head teacher stood up and said was, this school is a big family. We're a family here. We want to walk this journey with your child, and we want them to enjoy being part of the school family. So the family language was used there. My wife's WhatsApp group, she's part of a a GP surgery. Her GP surgery WhatsApp group is called the GP, the surgery name, and family. They treat their staff. The staff team there is regarded as the family. Even IKEA. If you go to IKEA and you join their members card, right, it's called the IKEA family, right? We don't have exclusive use of the word family in church. We can call ourselves a family, we can stick it on our posters and our website and everything else, like lots of other places do, by the way. But you'll see bonds, you'll see those family bonds, you'll see when someone's a family, when things go wrong. You'll see how tight the bonds are, You'll see how committed we are to each other when it goes wrong. 
and it's all going well, and everyone's having a great time, school and work and Ikea, it's always easy to be family. It's when it goes wrong. And so my burden for this series is that we do family well. And to do family well, we've got to be equipped when it goes wrong. Okay. Let me read. This is the verse that I'm just putting over the whole morning sermon. Okay, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Galatian church. We're looking at one verse. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters... Oh, by the way, this comes right after what the kids are doing. The fruit of the Spirit. So he's listed out the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then he says this. This is his first instruction after listing out the fruits of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters... If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, spiritual people live by the Spirit, should restore that person gently. Literally, in a spirit of gentleness. Whoops. So we're thinking today about that important really, really important spiritual, spirit-filled discipline of restoring someone caught in sin. And they're the two phrases I'm just going to lock down on here. So we're going to lock down onto uh, caught in a sin and think about that for a few moments. And then we're going to just think about restore that person gently. Restore them gently. So just let's just hang over these two phrases for a few moments and seek the Lord as we look at those. All right, what does it mean to be caught in a sin? Sounds a little dated. Sounds a little naughty. Sounds a little uh, weird. Perhaps to modern ears, caught in a sin. If we could just change it perhaps to someone's in a bad place, we use that kind of phrase, don't we? Is in a destructive place. Someone's in a harmful place. Someone's in a disillusioned place. They're caught in sin. The idea is the caught word is there's, it's like danger. It's like you're snared, trapped. You're caught. There's danger here. And so can you see, brothers and sisters, it's the natural reaction if someone is caught, snared, trapped, is to help. In fact, it would be unnatural, wouldn't it, to not help? Quite selfish, to not help. But this is difficult for us because we tend to think, especially in modern Britain, that someone else's life and what they like to do and what they're doing and getting up to is really none of my beeswax. I'm not going to get involved Jesus said don't judge and stuff like that, so it's not my responsibility. Hey, God can do the convicting here. He can bring the conviction on that person who's having a bit of an episode over there. It's not really, I don't really know them, or I don't really, you know, it's not my job. It tends to be our sort of default place. Um, but I want us to see here that uh, there's danger. If, if the question is, If someone's genuinely going to be causing harm or danger, they're caught. We'll think about that 
then it's a loving thing to go out to them. It's a loving thing to go to their aid. Um, now, how do I know if someone is caught? I think you don't want me coming up to you if um, you've missed one out of the last ten prayer meetings and I'm coming up to you saying, hey, been to nine out of ten, but I noticed, sadly, didn't quite make the full set. Or you don't want me to coming up to you and saying, uh, you had a piece of cardboard and I saw that go in the waste paper basket the other day instead of the recycling bin. Or you don't want me to come up to you and start correcting your grammar. There's things that are small and minor. There's things that are inconsequential that um, some church types quite like to pick upon. But we're going to try and avoid those things and go for the more serious things where, and I've got four things here, Number one, God's honour might be at stake. Number two, it might be spoiling a relationship. It might be hurting others or hurting themselves. So here's just four things we might want to think about. Is there danger? Whatever this person is doing, does it fall into these categories? First one's an interesting one, isn't it? Who's got a work colleague? We've all got a work colleague who um, is a Christian and is possibly the most unpopular work colleague in the workplace or maybe the school or college you attend and you've heard so-and-so is a Christian, your heart sinks because they're so unpopular <laughs> or whatever. And if you're like me at that stage, you kind of want to distance yourself from that person. I'm not that kind of Christian. I'm this kind of Christian. I go to this kind of church that kind of Christian, not so into that kind of form. You have that experience where somehow God's honour, his reputation, the glory of God is at stake. His name is being dragged through the mud because of sin, someone's, maybe their attitude, maybe just lacking in love, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So it could be that. It could be there's something quite serious. Actually, it needs to be tackled. So it's got to do so. Got to do something about this. Could be that. Could be that there's a relationship board. It's personal. It's personal. Someone's hurt me, and I can't overlook it. Let me just digress here briefly. The Bible does talk a lot about overlooking offences. Let me read you one verse from Proverbs 19, which is coming up here. A person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offence. Could have given you about five more verses about overlooking something relatively minor. So someone's hurt me and upset me. First question you might want to say there is instead of just going for them, you might just want to ask, is this something that actually I can overlook? And do you notice in the verse there, wisdom, right, maturity, yields patience. As you become more and more mature as a Christian, you become more patient. 
you become more able to sustain little remarks, things people say, things people do. There's a lovely guy, um, Steve knows him, I think, a guy called, uh, well, I won't say his name. <laughs> he's in the church, not in this church. And he's just a sweet, sweet guy. And I remember him, uh, we were all just giving some feedback about uh, what it's like being a, a minister, a clergy in the Church of England. And he sort of threw his arms open like this, and he's like, because he's one of the trainers. He just threw his arms open, he just said, I just need you to, just whatever you need to say, and I want you to give me some honest feedback. And then basically one by one, people just kind of <laughs> hit him with a few criticisms about where things had gone in the past year, and he's just like, fabulous, it's great. It's really, really, it's really helpful. He's like this the whole time. <laughs> so wise, so patient, able to sustain a lot of criticism, genuinely not getting bitter, not getting twisted about it on the inside, and actually just storing up things and filing it away, genuinely able to say, oh, that's all right, that's all right. I know, I know you said something, it's okay. Wisdom. And that comes from, has anyone, has anyone read this book to their kids? You're special, Max Ricardo. Anyone seen this? Oh, it's an absolute classic. This is such a great book to read to your children. I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to spoil it. It's little, it's tiny. It's one of these things. It's like, it's the books I like, actually, because it's massive cardboard pages with pictures. This is the kind of thing I like to read. Lovely, lovely book. Max Ricardo, You Are Special. And basically, it's about the Wemmicks, built by a woodcarver called Eli. And these Wemmicks go around putting stars and dots on each other. And they sort of say, oh, don't like your nose and don't like your figure. And they put dots on each other. And this poor Wemmick called Punchinello is covered in dots. No one likes him. But he meets this girl, Lucia, who has nothing on her, neither dots nor stars. He's like, how on earth? And uh, Lucia tells Punchinello, oh, you've got to go and see Eli. You've got to go and see the woodcarver, your maker. And so he goes and spends time with the woodcarver, Eli. He loves him and says, I just made you just the way you are. You're perfect. That's exactly who I made you to be. And he comes away from that first meeting with Eli, the woodcarver. And it's such a sweet moment. The first spot just drops to the floor, stops sticking. That's the idea. So we spend time with the Lord and I hear, I'm, your, I'm a child of God, loved by God, forgiven. I have a future. Somehow little insults, little snide remarks, little cold shoulders, doesn't bother me so much. I can absorb that, I can overlook it and not get all bitter, twisted. So... It might be that we can overlook an, an offence. Let's just go back to the previous slide. It might be we can do that. But if, but if genuinely the relationship's been spoiled, it's too serious. There's danger here. Then we need, to, we need to deal with that. And then just the last two, very quickly. It might be that someone's hurting other people. Could be in their family, could be in their church, could be serious, could be little. But we've seen something. Can't just ignore that. And it might be, of course, that they're harming themselves. Maybe with an addiction. Maybe they're about to make a bad decision. Maybe they're walking away from the Lord. 
They're about to do something serious. Paul's calling us to go to that person. So there's, that's what we might think about when we're thinking about this phrase, caught in sin. It's an unusual phrase. It's a bit out of touch, but is, this, is there danger here? Okay, second. This is the second big part of the sermon. Gently restore. You who are spiritual, Paul says, you who are spirit-filled should gently restore uh, this brother or sister. Now this is the most, if you've zoned out, (laughs) looking around the room, getting eye contact. If you've zoned out at this point, can I just call you back in for this one moment? I think this is probably the thing I want to say more than anything else. Um, Restoration. Restoring someone is the goal. Restoring someone is the goal. Not confronting them. You might need to confront someone to restore them, but restoring is the goal. Sometimes I think as Christians, we, uh, we think my job here is I've got to go toe-to-toe with this person, face-to-face, mono-a-mono, and just tell them like it is. I've got to, sell, I've got to say to this person something, and then just, I've just got to put it out there. That's quite a typical response, right? I've got to, I'll, I'll do it. I'll tell the person. The idea, it might involve that. Right? It might be that's what's needed. It might be that we, confrontation is the right pathway to go. But it's not the, confrontation's not the goal. Restoring. Seeing someone come around. If I'm walking this way, I'm going this way, making these bad decisions, seeing that person come around and back is the goal. Not making them feel guilty and full of shame and, oh, I'm a rubbish Christian. That, sometimes that might be needed. But not always. Perhaps not most of the time. The goal is to bring them back. Often I think, you know, as Christians we can act a bit like doctors who just want to do surgery. Like invasive, you know, intensive, life-threatening surgery. Right, there's a problem, so we need surgery. We've got to cut you open, and I've just got a cough. And he came in with a sore throat, well, let's cut it open. There's loads of ways that a doctor might go about skillfully. Think about the palate, the, the kind of things a doctor could do if you come in and say, I've got this, that, and the other. They might think very carefully. How, what is, there might be multiple ways to solve a problem. What's the best way? So let me just give you some, some lovely, lovely examples. We were singing about Jesus, weren't we? We were singing about the Lord. Here's how Jesus restores people. All right, here's just a few. Just picked at random. The woman caught in adultery. John 8. There they are, the Pharisees. They want to call this woman out with, with a ritual stoning. They want to put the shame on and the guilt on and stone and make an example of her. Jesus knows what she's done, but approaches her, finds a way to give her back her dignity. When everyone else has walked away, remember that? 
Everyone else has walked away. It's one-on-one. He restores her dignity. And she knows it. Doesn't even need to say, I know what you did. She knows. He knows. He's tender. Zacchaeus, remember Zacchaeus? The rogue, tax collector, extorting people out of all their cash. And what's the first thing Jesus says there? I'll come to your house for tea. Can I come to your house? In fact, I am coming to your house for tea, is what Jesus says. And somehow, by just saying, I'm going to come and, can I spend some time with you? Can I come and have some dinner with you? This guy's the kiss. It's like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a complete nutter loser. I've been stealing all kinds of money. I'm going to give it all back. Jesus did something quite generous, quite affirming, quite loving, quite gracious. And it, it elicited this guy's repentance. Uh, the rich young ruler is another good one. Rich young ruler, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knows this guy's got an idol. Big idol, money. And he asks him a handful of questions, basically. He doesn't say, oh yeah, you've got, an, you've got a problem, mate. He says, let me ask you a few questions. You know, do you know what the Ten Commandments are? Do you know what I Ask some questions. And going through that process of the questioning, the guy, he knows it, doesn't he? He knows what's going on in his heart. Even in the Pharisees, even with the Pharisees, you know, it's not exclusively, you think with the Pharisees, oh, with the Pharisees, then Jesus gets, you know, then he gets his real game on then. Actually, no, he's in the home of one of the Pharisees, and they're treating guests differently, remember the story? And he tells a parable, he tells them a story. I'll tell you a story, let me tell you a story about um, whatever it is, to kind of get them to see, to kind of, I, you know, instead of going, you, you're treating this guy this way, you're treating this guy this way, that's not on. You know, he tells them a story. So they all go, hmm, I wonder what that story was about. Oh, it's about me. <laughs> Loads of pathways. There might be all kinds of different ways that you might help someone see what it is they're doing. Very rare, actually. I mean, Jesus does do it. Luke 11 is a great place where Jesus just declares lots of woes to Pharisees. He does. I am not saying that confrontation isn't appropriate sometimes, but probably quite rare, really. Think about how you, how you yourself would like to be restored. Would you opt for someone to come and just point out your sins to you? Would you want someone to come alongside and say, do you know what, Mike, um, I just wanted to tell you, I just wanted to bring something up with you, maybe ask you a few questions, is that right? You're, you know, Mike, you're a, you're a great guy, I love, you know, you're a great friend of mine, here's the things I love about you. Can we just talk about what happened last, last Tuesday? I'd kind of like someone to do that. Okay. But aim for face-to-face, one-to-one, ASAP. These are good principles, aren't they? When we're, when we're trying to deal with people, text messages aren't great, emails aren't great, WhatsApps aren't great. Those kind of things aren't going to convey body language and things like that, face-to-face. ASAP, as soon as possible, don't let resentment build. That happens in the background, doesn't it? Oh, that happens. If you know if there's stuff going on, it's often. Maybe you need to give it a day, but if you leave it too long, things can build up in the background, so as soon as possible. 
and one-to-one. Let me just give you Matthew 18, by the way. This is the encouragement. Um, Matthew 18 is the passage, yeah, where Jesus actually lays out some instructions on how to confront someone (laughs) or how to restore someone in Jesus' own words. And there it is. I'm not making it up. If your brother or sister sins, go. Go to them, face to face. Go now, ASAP. And point out their fault one-to-one, just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. Now, it's not always, I just want to, just one sidebar. I know that this won't, this is not always the way to go. There might be cultural things going on. It might be, it's a man and a woman, and it may not be appropriate to meet one-to-one. There might be an abusive relationship. Wouldn't be good to do one-to-one. There might be special needs. Maybe that's not good one-to-one. So I'm not saying every time. But I'm saying in general, in general, face-to-face, one-to-one, as soon as possible. Go and speak to them. And you know, a really good piece of advice in the book was, if, you, if you're one of those people who just feels like, I cannot, I, I can't do that. That's not me. I'm really, that is just not me. I am, the thought of it makes me sick. He says in the book, and I think he's right, you are probably one of the best people to go and speak to someone if you feel that way. If, if you're feeling like, oh, I couldn't do this. That's just, I can't. He's like, you're probably a really good candidate for it. And on the other hand, if you're like, oh, yeah, it's easy. Yeah, fine, I'll go and talk to him. Who do you want me to talk to? I'll talk to that person. I'll go and talk to him tomorrow. If you're like that, you're probably the wrong candidate for it. The more timid and the more worried you are about it, probably you're going to be a really good restorer. You're probably going to have a great ministry there. And remember the promise of Jesus. This passage, Matthew 18, it's this, right, where Jesus says that, often quoted lines. We always say it in prayer meetings when no one rocks up. <laughs> when you have a prayer meeting and it's like one, two other people there, where two or three are gathered, there you are amongst us, Jesus. He actually says that here in this bit. I'm not saying you can't use that in prayer meeting, but he said that when he talks about restoring someone. So when you're going about the task of talking to someone and trying to bring them around, and maybe it's one of you, or maybe one or two of you are doing this, I'm really involved. I love that. I'm going to be right there. I'm going to be with you for that. He doesn't say that often. In communion, Jesus promised to be there, present in the bread and wine for us. In baptism, he's promised to be with us. When we go out and preach the gospel and baptize people, and I will be with you at the very end of the age, he's promised to be with us there. There's only certain places where he said, no, I will definitely be with you then. Here's one of them. When you're restoring a brother, when you're restoring a sister, I'll be there. I'll show up. Great, isn't it? And then finally, just the last thing here. Plan that conversation really, 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 really carefully. As you go up to the person, as you're going to speak to them, maybe for the first time, how are you going to make this about the gospel 
and about Jesus and about the love of Christ, the forgiveness of God, the goodness of God, the future that God has for us. I'll finish with this. Think of the Samaritan woman. This is just the last one. Think of the Samaritan woman with Jesus by the well. You know the scene? This woman's had five husbands. She's currently not with her. She's not married to her existing husband. The whole conversation is about worship, like Jesus is saying, you know, and the Messiah and who the Christ is and what true worship is. He tackles salvation, eternal life. It's basically the gospel. They have this wonderful, like, gospel conversation. And in the midst of it, in the midst of all that, she, yeah, she, or Jesus points out, oh yeah, I know, I know what's going on. You've had quite a destructive set of relationships. But it's framed, it's framed, the whole, that, that, that sort of middle bit of what's going on with your relationships and quite a destructive lifestyle is, is just surrounded by, it's couched in the greatness of the gospel, who God is, what worship is, what our future is, the coming the Messiah's return, all these things. So when we're going to speak to someone, when we, when we feel that, we feel, okay, I'm, I'm going to talk to this person, how are you going to bring them to the gospel? How's this whole conversation going to be about Jesus? For the love of, for Jesus' love for us, for what he's done for us, how are we going to bring that in? So you might even start the conversation, you might even pray. If it's another Christian particularly, it's going to be slightly different if it's someone else, but for another Christian, it might be, brother, it's great to be together, you know, I love you, the Lord loves you, so wonderful, we're forgiven. You know, I don't know how you're going to plan that conversation, how it's going to be about Jesus. There might be a million ways to do it, but make it about Jesus. So that if it's me, I come out of there feeling like, yeah, yeah, I want to live for Christ. And I want to put away whatever it is I'm doing and live for Jesus. That's the goal. Restoration is the goal. So let me just summarize. We've said we want to be a family, don't we? We want to be a family. And not just, we want to use vocab. Like anyone can use family vocab. Like we actually want to be a family. We want to do family relationships. And we'll see the bonds. You'll see the bonds in the fallouts. If a brother or sister is caught in sin, you're looking for danger. Is God dishonored? Is there hurt? Is there pain? Is there things going on in their life? Look for the danger and gently restore. It's not about confrontation. It might be. The goal is to restore Pray for God's help as we do that. Lord Jesus, it is such a treasure to see you at work in the Gospels, to see how you yourself brought a people around, restored a brother or a sister. And we want, we want to be your disciples, Lord Jesus, who follow in your ways. So please encourage us and help us, equip us, Lord, to do this really well. And this may need to happen today, this week. 
we might have someone on our minds right now and we just pray for that situation Lord and we pray that you would go before us be with us as you have promised Matthew 18 in this vital wonderful Christ-like work of restoration and we pray in Jesus' name.